Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Chris and I just had an amazing conversation with Jacob Tiernis from the Netherlands, who is uh, has all these really great YouTube videos, and he used to be a pastor in the Anglican Church, and he's uh, recently retired. Um, but Chris, you and Jacob know each other from Facebook, is that right? Um, I initially connected with Jacob through his blog, um, because I'll mention in, in, in the episode when we get to it that I, I was looking for some information on clergy and laity. And so I was just Googling, Googling that and came across his blog. And he's got some really great articles on there about clergy and laity. And then we connected on Facebook. Oh, that's awesome. I love uh, the power of technology in that way. And, and really, like Google has everything. <laughs> is there anything you can't find on Google that someone has done a video on or a blog post on or whatever? Um, but I, uh, so I am, uh, uh, I may have met, actually, I don't think I mentioned this before, but um, so uh, for my own doctoral program, I'm uh, going to be taking Greek. And so it was really cool to, uh, uh, hear Jacob talk about some of like the the Greek words and uh, that we see and how we're kind of misinterpreting a lot of them throughout church history and um, so for the nerds out there that like all that stuff you're going to enjoy this and even for people that aren't super nerdy there's so much good and, and encouraging stuff about about how we get to be faithful people in whatever tradition that looks like for you yeah um it, it was. It's really interesting to hear about all these terms that, you know, if you don't ever read any of the Greek in um, in the New Testament, you'll never really, you'll never kind of get this out of out of it. But, you know, there's these terms like diakonos, which we, which you know, in English would be deacon, or uh, episkopos, which in English is is really uh, overseer, and all these things are just are are roles that people play within the church and giftings that people have in the church, or at least that's what it was originally intended to be. But, you know, as we tend to do, we've taken something that was supposed to be very informal and we've, we've put some structure around it and formalized it and made it a, a hierarchy. And, um, you know, even, even the churches that don't have that very formal hierarchy, like the Catholic church or the Anglican church, still have some sort of hierarchy. You know, they have that CEO, senior pastor, and then everything below. So it's really fascinating. Yep. And especially coming from two different traditions within the, within the Christian tradition, Chris, you and I, um, and Jacob as well. And just uh, a lot of it was brand new information to me because uh, even being on staff at a church, we still didn't use words like deacon and elder and, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, and all that as well. So it's, I think all of our listeners are in for a real treat with this conversation. Yeah. I think it was really great and we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. And you know, if you do enjoy it or if you have any questions or, um, if you want to connect, uh, with Chris or myself about anything with the podcast or, uh, today's episode, or even about spiritual direction, um, we have an email address now, which is super exciting. Um, and you can email us at sdtasinfo at gmail.com. That stands for spiritual directors talking about stuff. S-D-T-A-S-info at gmail.com. It's also in our show notes with a whole bunch of really great links and resources from today's episode. 
as we said, we're super pumped about this episode and this conversation and, and we hope you enjoy it. Today we have with us Jacob Ternus. Jacob is from the Netherlands. Um, in 1979, when Jacob was 22, he obtained a BA in theology from a seminary in England. And after returning to the Netherlands, he first worked as an editor, translator, and a journalist for church publications. Then, because of a disappointing career prospects, he made a drastic career change. Information technology was a growing field with many job opportunities, so Jacob turned his hobby into his profession and obtained a Bachelor of Science in 1986. He also holds diplomas in accounting and insurance and teaches Tai Chi and Qigong to seniors. But his interest in theology never left him, and in 2005, he became a licensed lay minister in the Anglican Diocese in Europe. In the course of the last 20 years, he has preached many sermons and written many articles. He recently retired, but he has no lack of interesting things to do and to explore. So thank you for being with us all the way from the Netherlands, Jacob. Thank you very much. My pleasure. That is quite a bio. We are so excited to have you on. Um, so uh, you were a licensed lay minister in the Anglican church. I don't know that we have uh, this idea in, in, uh, in the States of a licensed lay minister. Can you talk a little bit about that, what that is and, and what, what you did and how that was for you? All right. Um, it's, uh, may, may also be known as reader. Does that tell you more or a reader? I, I, I seem to remember that there may be at least at the Anglican church I used to go to did not have readers but I've heard right. of that term before but tell us a yeah. little more about it yeah it, what it basically is is that you get a training of a couple of years um, evenings and some meetings um, um, to do practical work um, like listening um, pastoral stuff um, but basically, it's it's written uh, assignments uh, at a school in uh, in the UK. It's correspondence course, and uh, you have to do a couple of preaching assignments as well. Uh, I enjoyed that very much, and also the contact with other people doing that. And in the Anglican Church worldwide, there are I guess about ten thousand of them. So there is that there could be one reader to every two priests even uh, in in some in some places they uh, take care of uh, of all the services and they have a problem uh, doing eucharists uh, in that case uh, so they have to fly in a priest but the normal services like evening prayer morning prayer etc can be done by a reader that's interesting um i i did lead some evening prayer services um, at the Anglican Church, but they never mentioned anything about needing a, a certification as oh, a reader yeah. or a licensed yeah. lay minister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know this is going on. It's a bit confusing. The uh, the rules in the different dioceses are, are different. 
and and the the, the terminology is different, like uh, lay ministers, uh, readers. Uh, they have uh, some other stuff. Maybe a spiritual director is is similar because you have had your training, and uh, in in fact, you're I think you're a lay minister because of yeah. that. Uh, you have yeah. a public office, uh, which is uh, different from. Yeah, people doing just a little bit of uh, of something, um, but 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 this is a proper function, and uh, you keep doing it, and you can do it in other chaplaincies as well. Uh, sometimes it's even uh, permitted um, to um, to do a, a kind of Eucharist. They call it a Eucharist by extension. So the elements have to be ordained by a priest, and then you can uh, distribute them with a specially designed liturgy. And I've done that a number of times when when there wasn't a priest available. Yeah, I I, I did get trained in that. Now that I remember, uh, now that I think about it, um, I had to take a little class. It was just about an hour long, and the mm-hmm. the priest taught us how to administer the Eucharist. Okay. Um, and of course, the Eucharist would also would already have been uh, consecrated. Exactly. They would give us a little traveling Eucharist kit, and we could just carry it like a briefcase to wherever we went. I didn't actually have to. I didn't. I never actually did it. Um, they didn't ever call on me to do that, but I did tr- get trained for it. Yes, it's sometimes done for the sick, uh, but it can also be done in a congregation. Wow, that is so interesting to me coming from a tradition where um, even as just a volunteer, I get to lead a a small group through Mm -hmm. communion, which is the the Eucharist, but we call it communion in in my church. And so it's just there's there's not as many rules around it and classes and certifications. It's do you love Jesus? Great, you can baptize, you can do communion, right. you can. <laughs> I see. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's quite different. It's uh, there are lots and lots of rules in the Anglican Church for sure. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that I think in the Anglican Church and probably in Catholic as well that they would they probably believe that if if the priest had not consecrated the Eucharist that you don't have a valid Eucharist. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. it, that's debatable. I, I, I don't know where I land on that. <laughs> yes, it's, it depends on your definition of, of Eucharist. Well, let me, um, I just want to kind of give a little bit of background on how I met Jacob. Um, from late 2017 to early 2020, my wife and I were attending an Anglican church. And I started to consider becoming ordained to the priesthood. And I wrestled with this idea for over a year because I had opinions on the clergy and laity dichotomy uh, about whether or not it was biblical. And I had these opinions, I had these ideas for a long time. Um, I was searching for really any information that I could find to help me make sense of this possible calling. Could I become a priest in a system that I didn't agree with? Was God calling me to become part of the system to attempt to reform it from the inside? These were the questions that I was wrestling with. And I mean, it was really a wrestling. I did not know what to make of it. So in that search for anything to help me come to terms with this, I came across Jacob's blog. 
and he had written some really in-depth and helpful articles there about the clergy-laity dichotomy. And we'll link to those articles in our in our show notes today. And so in part, based on what I read from Jacob's articles and in part from my own wrestling with this topic, I decided that I could not in good conscience enter the Anglican priesthood. So I put that question to rest. And when I did, my inner turmoil ceased and I knew then that I had made the right decision not to pursue the priesthood. So I wanted to have Jacob on the podcast to talk about this clergy and laity dichotomy that we see in the church today. Um, so we're going to talk about the history behind the system we have, um, the words that we see in the Bible that uh, mean the different different art offices that you see in the church, and then some pros and cons of such a system. I've been on a sim similar path than you, um, also been wrestling with the same choices and uh, should I uh, still try to go into the ordained ministry or stay uh, a lay minister? So, so that's why I have uh, uh, started to investigate these things. And uh, second is that if we talk about the different uh, terms in the Bible relating to uh, offices, um, well, they're all a bit vague, to be um, honest. And that's because the Bible speaks more about spiritual gifts than about offices. Um, and, and when you talk about functions in, and church offices, they've come about uh, much later in church history, um, basically. But we can say a few things uh, about it. For instance, that diakonia in the Bible it means service or ministry. Uh, when, when you read the different texts, you'll soon find out that... Um, that it means different kinds of services, that it's a whole group of, uh, of gifts. Uh, and the main uh, text uh, about this is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. And uh, from, from other verses, verses 5 and 6, you'll notice that there are more than one uh, of those uh, ministries. Um, it's the same word, by the way, that is used in Luke 10 uh, for the ministry of Martha when uh, she serves uh, Jesus. And, and uh, so that uh, goes to show that, that it's a wide variety or a wide possibility of uh, different ministries. Uh, it can also refer to preaching, as in Acts uh, 6 verse 4. And in fact, you could say that all members, all church members, all followers of Christ are called to some kind of service. Uh, but in due course, um, it got um, changed. It got a technical meaning and it meant the, the, the physical service, the care for, el um, the, care for the elderly, um, as opposed to the spiritual care that was given by the elders and the pastors. So that's the diaconia. Then we have the presbyteros, which is basically um, an, uh, the Greek word for elder. Now, in the Bible, you have many instances of elders. You have the, uh, the elders and the priests of the people of Israel, and you have the elders uh, among the Christians. And uh, every time... Um, you have to watch very carefully what's the Bible speaking about. Does it mean uh, people who are just a little bit older and more senior uh, and wiser? 
or is it a specific office? And uh, of course, you have Paul and, and Titus and Barnabas going around appointing and ordaining elders. But in other cases, for instance, let me see, where was it? Um, now, I don't um, know exactly what the text was, but there, there is an instance of the, the elders being compared to the young ones. And there it says that, uh, that they uh, should, should give a good example. So you can't really tell from this text whether it's an office or whether it's just talking about all the senior people in church, you see, who should set uh, the, the good example. Uh, so we should be very careful uh, not to translate everything into an, an office. But again, uh, Presbyteros eventually became uh, a priest. Um, the, uh, the consonants in the word P-R-S-T uh, are used uh, again in our English word priest. It, it comes straight from the word Presbyteros. Uh, which means that uh, a priest is basically an elder, right? There's there's nothing uh, uh, mysterious about that. It's an elder. And you see in the Bible that um, when elders are appointed, it's usually more than one in, in a congregation. It's usually a group, uh, which is also interesting and different from the way it is now. Um, and... Yeah, well, the the development that took place was that um, you also have the other word hieros, which means which also means priest. But that's the term that is normally used for the um, uh, Judaic priests, uh, the priest in Judaism, doing sacrifices at the temple, etc., etc. And um, that was never used in connection uh, to elders. It, and when it is used in the New Testament, it is always used to refer to the whole uh, community of the faithful. And the priesthood of all believers is compared to the Old Testament priesthood. And uh, together we, we, we make up such a priesthood. Um, and in, but in due time... Uh, as time went on, uh, the reservations of uh, of Christian pastors about um, the Judaic priesthood and uh, wanting to set themselves apart from that declined, um, and they started to um, to copy these uh, these priests and bring in a sacrificial element, and that's when. Um, the presbyteros and the hieros became the same, became one and the same thing. The sacrificial element was that what we would consider to be the Eucharist or communion now? Is that what you meant by a sacrificial element? Um, yes, when um, I forgot to mention that hieros was also used for the pagan priests and, and, and they had their sacrifices as well. So at first, Christians were very concerned. Uh, not to be seen in the same quarter as those pagan priests and the, and the Judaic priests. Uh, they weren't sacrificing because Christ was their final sacrifice. Um, but then uh, gradually um, they thought, well, this is, uh, has a, 
rather nice symbolism about it, eh, the Old Testament priesthood. And we are uh, sacrificing something, at least uh, we are uh, confessing our sins. That's a kind of sacrifice. We are bringing praise. That's also a kind of sacrifice. Um, and perhaps the Eucharist itself um, is also a repetition of the sacrifice of Christ. And, and these things came together and uh, made that um, uh, the Hieros and the Presbyteros became one and the same thing. Uh, now there's one other element, and, and that is the distinction between the clergy and the laity itself. You have in the New Testament the terms kleros and laos. And laos is the simple one, because it means the people, the people of God. Um, kleros, on the other hand, where we have our word clergy from, uh, kleros means portion, lot, or inheritance, or share. And it's usually applied to other things like uh, a portion of land or an inheritance of some kind, um, which is distributed or shared. And uh, only very occasionally does it refer to ministry. Um, for instance, the uh, instance with Simon the Sorcerer. You may remember that when he uh, claims um, a part of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit, eh, he wants to buy it, uh, then he is told, you, you can't have a share in the Holy Spirit because that's not how it works. It's, you can't buy it. It, it has to be given as a free gift. So th those are some instances when, uh, when the word occurs. Now, where it gets interesting is um, that part of the meaning, which is inheritance. Uh, because there's one text, 1 Peter 5, verse 3, where um, it speaks about those in your charge, um, in the charge of the, the elders and the pastors. Um, they they shouldn't lord it over them. That's that's what the text says. And uh, the Greek word is kleron, uh, which is from kleros, and it refers to a group of people. Um, and in in a sense, that that is the inheritance, which is uh, Jesus saying that uh, to the Father, you you have given them to me, uh, the the flock is mine, uh, I'm caring for it. And, and that care, of course, is now being given to other shepherds. Uh, they should care for the flock. Um, but again, this, uh, the word here doesn't refer to the clergy, but it refers to those they are caring for. Um, but those people were, uh, over time, more and more uh, seen as a kind of um, property, even, yeah, that, uh, which you can see from the term in English, you have uh, so-called benefits. Benefits is an area of land um, where you put uh, a priest, and then when the people pay tithe, it goes to that priest. So he benefits from it. There you have the word. Um, but that is turning things upside down because it's talking about what is going to the priest and not what the priest is giving to the people. 
Um, in other words, the, the, this whole distinction between kleros and laos is artificial uh, because the way the words are used in the Bible is completely different. So, I mean, everyone is part of the laos and also and in a way part of the kleros as well. Exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah. So there's no distinction between the two. No, because we are all we all belong to the inheritance, um, yeah, which God has given to Christ. Right. Now, I I grew up uh, in a in the Baptist church, at least here in in the U.S. Um, Baptist churches, you know, are, are often led by a senior pastor, or or just a pastor, and and I think this idea of senior pastor has is kind of maybe more recent in the last 20 years or so where there's now more of a corporate structure. And so mm -hmm. you have the senior pastor, which is the CEO and you've got some associate pastors yeah. below, yeah. but, um, but the senior pastor, you know, I is usually the, you know, the leader. And then there's uh, at least in the church I grew up in when I was very young, we had a deacon board um, and the deacons essentially just acted as an advisory board to the pastor or a board of directors kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then some other Baptist churches have an elder board, which is essentially they act the same way as mm -hmm. an advisory board. Um, and so in either of those cases, they've, they are not really uh, acting in the function that they were intended to function uh, based on what you told us about the word deacon and elder. No, exactly. Um, there are, of course, very different arrangements in various churches. You have church councils, and they usually take care of the business as well, rather than the spiritual side of things. But, but I believe strongly that we were all called to deal with spiritual things. So would you say that, uh, that all of God's people, all of the Laos, are also all deacons? since we're all called to service of some sort? Um, yes, as, as I said, diakonia means service. Okay. Um, and we should be a little bit careful because there are instances when, when uh, uh, deacons and uh, elders are ordained by laying on of hands. So it does confer a special kind of, um, of leadership uh, and authority um, but then again, Paul, in, in various places in the Bible, Paul writes uh, that he wants people to grow uh, in, in stature and in uh, wisdom. And in one place, he says that um, by now he was expecting the whole congregation to be teachers. Uh, that is the aim. Uh, the goal is that yeah. we build up the, this temple, this community um, so that we can eventually all um, evangelize uh, and teach. Now, not, not everybody is probably capable of that. That's another matter. Um, but I think we should make an attempt as a church um, uh, to give people a little bit more responsibility. And then sometimes the, um, the growth will co come automatically. But currently, it's, it's, it's often not expected from people, and they just sit there and, and consume. If we are all called to be teachers, when I think of teacher, I think of a, a 
an outward facing way to, uh, to serve people, mm-hmm. you know, to use either knowledge or other gifts that you have to take what you have and have it go outward. And I think that that is something that we're called to do as people of faith is to not just live in a bubble of, Oh, we all believe this same way, but if we're all, if we all are built up to grow, uh, mm-hmm. in our faith, then to, uh, go outward with it, to take it out to the community, mm-hmm. to serve other people and to love other people. Um, and I think different faith traditions have different definitions of what that means mm-hmm. to go outward and love people well. Um, but I wonder if there's something with that to, of being part of the layoffs means if we're going to be teachers, that's really a call to go and serve outside of our bubble. What do you think of that? Um, sure. Uh, I can only agree with that. Um, I think we live in different bubbles. We can live in a bubble within a bubble often. You have a church and you have different groups within that church. You have different denominations. Um, You have different groups of people outside the church. And um, the the church is often very inward looking. And they try to to care for for the people that show up. and it's, it's not always easy because you have to think about uh, what kind of people you can cater for uh, coming from the outside. Uh, there is such a variety sometimes. Here in Europe, it's, it's probably extra difficult um, because the church, the Anglican church, uh, has its services in English. Um, but the, the people coming are um, probably half half of them is Dutch and the other half is from all kinds of different countries um, and with different customs. Um, But um, I think the answer is listening to each other. Um, It's not only about sitting behind a desk and studying a number of things and then uh, explaining them to others. Uh, It's in the interaction with other uh, Christians that uh, that wisdom and truth is found um, and we have to be in a vulnerable position in that uh, we are willing um, to uh, to accept change for ourselves as well um, we can uh, learn from others and we don't need to stay uh, the same um, you know I think we've um, maybe in the past, Jacob, on Facebook, we've had little conversations here and there about um, about this concept of orthodoxy and, you know, what is considered orthodox beliefs. And, you know, at least I know in, in the Anglican church that I was a part of, that was a very strong concept and a very um, firm concept that, that, you know, the church had believed X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. doctrines for 2000 years and, you know, therefore should not ever change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I remember reading in one of your articles that um, something, something like, you know, one should not take the length of time something has been believed with 
and equate that with the fact that that is the truth um, that may not they're not the same thing that's right the church is always a little bit careful which i can understand uh, especially during the early stages there were many challenges to its doctrine and they became quite defensive and they wrote things down and, and they defended them in all sorts of ways mm -hmm. i'm not saying that is not necessary anymore uh, there's still room for uh, apologetics as it's called um, but we've also come into a time i think that uh, that people are better educated and they have learned to to think for themselves um, they also uh, take tend to take more responsibility for themselves uh, and and those are things we need to take into account uh, we we can't keep treating people um, as if they are consumers and i think uh, it's one of the reasons why um, the church is is not so popular anymore because it's often a one-way communication yeah um, yeah and, and we, we are inventing different ways around that, making it more interactive. Uh, but when it comes to, uh, to doctrines and views and, and so on, there's a surprising um, yeah, uh, resistance to, to change. Yeah. <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> That's very true. Um, you know, you mentioned how, you know, the church is very focused on inward. Uh, there's very inward focus and, in, 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 you know, serving those who come in through the doors. Uh, and, and I think this clergy laity dichotomy is uh, the way, the way I, I like to describe it is, is it's sort of, in a way, a headwind against the spiritual development of of the people of God. Um, you mm -hmm. know, when 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 yeah. you walk in through the door, you're expected to sit down and just be a spectator, watch. You know, in, at least in the Anglican Church, there's some participation in 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 what you say and what you mm -hmm. do. Um, but in many many churches, there's really not even that much participation that's, from that's people right. in the pews. Yeah. So yeah. you know, there's 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 no expectation for you to grow into those gifts that God has given. No, um, the, um, the idea of the priesthood of all believers is that, uh, that we all become um, sources of light uh, past, mm -hmm. uh, past the, the things we know, um, the, the enlightenment or whatever you like to call it, pass things on to others. Now, I'm aware that uh, that not everybody um, uh, can imagine himself as a priest or a pastor. Um, but maybe also our idea about priests and pastors is wrong. Because yeah. um, do they really need to be um, yeah, dressed up all the time <laughs> and um, um, standing on the pulpit and, and raising our hands in blessing over others. Um, it, it can become a kind of a caricature also. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it has become to, to many people outside the church. Um, it, it's a kind of theater. I had, used to have an, um, a priest in our chaplaincy who literally said to me once, um, 
that um, church service was a kind of theater to him. Wow. <laughs> and um, and that it uh, had to be enjoyable to watch. Well, which is true in a way, um, because you shouldn't mess up all the time. That doesn't help, does it? Um, but uh, on the other hand, um, yeah, it's it's not a theater. It should come out of the heart. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. And when things are so tightly scripted, there's no room for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's the the issue of um, liturgy or no liturgy. It's it's a difficult one because if you don't have a liturgy, um, you'll get one automatically. And it's a bit uh, yeah. chaotic sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and, and people yeah. develop habits and, and they still end up having uh, a, lo- a lot of unwritten rules, which newcomers find strange. And uh, so there has to be structure. I'm convinced of that. Um, but on the other hand, it, it isn't the soul of the church. Mm-hmm. It, it's more a protective mechanism. Mm. Yeah. To, uh, not to wander off too far and make it, uh, for instance, if you let some people hold a testimony on the, on the platform, uh, it can go, go on for hours, right? <laughs> yes. yeah. <laughs> and that's not really what you want. But right. uh, you, you do want to give them a role in um, um, yeah, spreading the good news. Yeah. Right. It's interesting. You said... Um, earlier about how, you know, people don't want to call themselves pastors or, you know, they don't want to see themselves as with the label of priest on them. And I worked at a, uh, a church and I would, uh, help people start small groups basically in, um, at their job. And so my boss would say to them, you are going to be their pastor in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And that's how, that's your role is to be a pastor in the marketplace. And uh, a lot of the people were like, no, no, I don't. That, that is too much like that. I, I'm yes. not a pastor. Like I didn't go to seminary. I didn't check the boxes. Like I don't even go to church every week or whatever. No, no. And uh, that shift of trying to, uh, to uh, think of yourself less of the label of priest or pastor mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and not even just a lay person. Cause that is a, um, that is outside of the denomination that I came from. We don't talk about lay people, but, um, but even just to make that shift from priest to Mm -hmm. light sharer or light bearer, you know, what does that look like to just be light in the world? Yeah. It's, it's funny that the word pastor has such um, a connotation to it. Whereas basically it, it just means shepherds. And if you would consider call yourself a shepherd, that would be much easier, right? Because everybody is, to a certain extent, uh, shepherding uh, some people, <laughs> even if it's only your children or your family members. I don't know. Help and lead them to green pastures. That's right. Or my cat. <laughs> or your cat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, what what do you think it was that made the early church transition from this kind of role and gift function 
or, or more, I'm sorry, the kind of just the gift functioning to more of a role or uh, official office. Uh, what do you think it was? Um, right. Uh, well, I think there are some parallel developments, about five of them, which uh, took place uh, simultaneously. And one of them is that um, the spiritual and the physical got separated from each other. Because somehow in the early church, um, things were shared. There was a co communal living, right? And um, um, poor people received uh, gifts, uh, money and clothes and food from the richer people. Um, but somehow the emphasis was more and more on spiritual things and about going to heaven. Okay. And what, what you see happening is that you, you get a deflation of the term uh, deacon, of the diaconate. Um, the deacon became an assistant to the priest yeah. instead of taking care of the, well, they still did, but it was no longer done by the deacon. They still cared for the, uh, for the poor people. Um, but the, 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 the priest became the most important thing because he dealt with the spiritual things. And this is a, a development which could have been influenced by uh, Greek, Greek philosophers um, because it wasn't Jewish. Uh, it doesn't come from there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. but, uh, but it happened. And I think it was, um, was not a very good uh, development. And uh, the Eucharist becoming a sacrifice, we already uh, talked about that a little bit. Um, at first, the Eucharist wasn't a sacrifice, it was a remembrance. That's also the word that Christ uh, used. And there are some ways in which it can be seen as a sacrifice, but uh, not as a literal one. And even, I think, um, it was... Um, who was it, Tertullian, one of the church fathers in any case, um, said that um, if Christ is uh, present in the Eucharist, uh, he is present sacramentally. So that's a qualification. He, he didn't say Christ is in the Eucharist, but he said he's in there sacramentally. Mm. So, um, but, um, but that's a little bit difficult for most people. So they uh, tend to just say, this is the body of Christ. This is literally, I'm taking the body and blood of Christ. And, and when that happens, there has to be a priest um, mm. to uh, take care of the, of the uh, rather dangerous process of converting the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. <laughs> it it yes. was yes, it was actually considered very dangerous in in um, the Middle Ages. Uh, it was said that if they would mispronounce one of the words one of the, in one of the prayers during the Eucharist, uh, something would go horribly wrong. And that that was actually believed. Which is funny because the the people the early uh, pe people that were outside of the church, so the early non-Christians, I guess you would say, were they accused the early Christians of being cannibals, and it's because they were talking about this. Yeah, yes. But but they actually like truly meant it at the same time. Which yes, is, they did. You know, which is yeah. so interesting. Uh, I don't come from a tradition that 
believes in transubstantiation, no. which is a really hard word to say. Um, yes, it is. So, <laughs> so that all of that just like boggles mm. my mind. <laughs> it, it does, but but these things were very real at the time, and. Uh, um, then the title of bishop, uh, that was another development. First, you only had uh, elders, um, and the elder was also the bishop, eh, because bishop means overseer, somebody who um, is in charge. And, well, the elder was in charge of the uh, congregation. Um, but you got an, uh, a bishop on top of that. He uh, received a more regional coordinating uh, function to oversee various uh, chaplaincies. And uh, so he became a supervisor and uh, his, his priests in turn became his assistants. But there are still echoes, um, for instance, Church Father Jerome, who lived in 347 to 420, um, he is quoted as having said, that there is no difference between offices of bishop and priests uh, when it comes to their calling. The only difference, he said, was a practical one. And the practical issue that there was, uh, was a kind of rise, uh, rising sectarianism. Some people would say, I've been baptized by this priest, and no, uh, I'm much better because I'm baptized by the other priests. And um, uh, from that time onward, the bishop would come and he would baptize or uh, confirm that particular person. So they could no longer say, I'm uh, from this or that priest. Um, I, I wonder if that was the real reason, but that is what Jerome said anyway. <laughs> and um, another change was, of course, that you... Um, suddenly only had one elder instead of a group of elders in the church. And finally is that the bishop also uh, considered himself as a successor to the apostles. You have the apostolic succession. And um, whereas an apostle used to be a kind of evangelist, um, well, the bishop was primarily the leader of a number of priests. But he, he took the title of apostle. Um, and and it's, it's fine because the, the bishop does have a, a kind of evangelistic uh, mission as well. Um, but he isn't the only one. Huh? Um, I always think of pastors and elders and bishops as people who should support the ministry of all the others. Um, but sometimes it's turned around and you get the bishop saying, I have this mission and you should support me in it. And that's, that's, I, I think that's turning the, the, the things upside down. So you have these, these five developments uh, that roles and offices um, change. And um, with it, the different spiritual gifts, of which there are many, because Romans uh, 12 mentions seven of them, 1 Corinthians 12 mentions nine, um, another place there are five, it's reduced to maybe two or three. And, and I think that's, uh, that's not, uh, not very nice. <laughs> but then again, there have been many uh, um, 
different interpretations. There are even people um, who say that some of the spiritual gifts have stopped and that they are no longer needed. And that is called cessationism. So if, if we can't even agree about that kind of stuff, how are we to agree about uh, the different offices in the church? Right. When you have so such a reduction in the number of gifts being utilized, it's kind of like you've got you've got a body just you know working on with a leg and, a, and an arm instead of the entire yeah, body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. I want to see your your opinions on whether or not you see any benefits to this system now, um, and you know, kind of what are the diff what are the benefits versus disadvantages you mean of having the hierarchy built oh, yeah, into the having, church, right? yeah the the current system that we have well we have um a little bit more continuity with judaism now because the priest or the minister because this applies equally uh to the protestant churches uh the pastor there uh is, is almost a priest in the in that sense he may not think that he is doing the transubstantiation, um, but uh, he is the one person at the head who has basically all the spiritual gifts uh, um, and is considered as a prophet and as a teacher and as everything else. Um, so there is a little bit of continuity and understanding with Judaism, but I don't think that's a big uh, advantage. Um the an, uh, advantage could be that there is more coordination. If you have one person at the head of, of the chaplaincy, that's, that's rather nice. If there's a quarrel, somebody can <laughs> decide. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see that as, a, as an advantage either, because it seems to me that the body of Christ it should, it should be able to work out differences among themselves, um, you know, not just go to one judge so to speak but i wonder if you could look at it as though there's a a system in place if you don't know what to do there's a person that you can go to that's right it's a backup system um and of course that uh, all churches work like this that they first try to solve the problems uh in another way uh, but at least there's somebody who should lead and um, i think that's correct um, but that's more the gift of leadership, isn't it? Right. And and I distinguish that from the, the priesthood of all believers. Okay. And and that's really the only priesthood that there should be. Um, yeah. I, I can't really think of many other advantages of the of the current <laughs> system. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of agree with you there. <laughs> So, Jacob, would you say that it's important to understand what your gifts are within, like, within your spiritual gifts, at least, um, when it comes to your life as an individual as part of the priesthood? Ah, yes, yeah, that's a very good uh, question. Um, I think that uh, one of the tasks of, of the pastors, the elders, or whatever, whoever is in charge is to help others to see their vocation. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes uh, there are these uh, vocation uh, trainings or uh, 
sessions where you can explore these things, but they, they are in the minority. I think usually when the, ter the term vocation is used, it refers to the vocation of a priest. And um, I've also experienced in my own um, journey um, that when you don't go in, in that direction, when you don't want to become a priest or you can't, eh, you're not allowed to, um, that somehow um, there isn't a follow-up. And I think these people who come forward with um, an interest in becoming a, a pastor, um, well, you shouldn't waste that kind of, uh, of interest. And uh, usually uh, those people, myself included, have some kind of, uh, of capability. And um, yeah, it should be used. And one of those ways is for, in the Anglican Church is to become a lay minister. Um, but I think uh, many others could benefit from some, something like this. It doesn't, they don't always have to go um, to, uh, to a seminary or a long training. Um, if we would recognize what their um, gift is. Uh, and some, some gifts are just different. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the situation I find myself in. Um, there was there was some calling that I sensed, which was, you know, kind of looking to me like maybe a, a call to the priesthood. But I decided that's probably not what it is. But there's still this sense of some kind of calling. And I, was, I yeah. don't know what, you know, exactly. so I'm still yeah. kind of wrestling yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe my spiritual direction is, is part of that, uh, if not all of it, but at least part of it. And there may be more though, so I'm still I'm still thinking through it and and trying to figure that out. And Jacob, you mentioned earlier when we were just kind of chatting before we actually hit record mm -hmm. about spiritual directors in the Anglican Church tend to be the priests in the church, and mm -hmm. yeah. so that idea of the spiritual direction ministry being outside of the church is kind of foreign to a lot of de denominations. But yeah. spiritual direction can be a gift, the, you know, being able to listen well and pay attention to the movements of God is a spiritual gift. Yes. And one of the things that is only mentioned only once in, in the Bible, uh, in the text that I have reviewed, uh, is the distinction of spirits. But it's, it's a very important one, because if you can distinguish spirits, uh, it means you can help those people to find their true vocation. Mm -hmm. mm. It's it's a very important one, and it's not exercised all that much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we talk about <laughs> purpose a lot, but you know, and how that fits into your vocation. Uh, but is that you know what does that look like when it comes to having the title of clergy, you know, or is it just a way of being in the world? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's our selection of of gifts, and uh, the the ones that are mentioned in the Bible are just examples. Uh, because um, I, th it would be fair to say that everyone has a unique gift. Uh, if somebody is, for instance, a helper, uh, that kind of helping will not be the same as the helping uh, of someone else. 
And if someone has a leadership function, um, well, not everybody leads in the same way. Uh, you have certain skills and backgrounds that help you. Uh, experiences uh, will mean that you give different kinds of advice. And uh, the spirit is like a wind that blows in the, in the direction that uh, he or she, I should say, uh, wants. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, this, this has been a really great discussion. Um, really has helped me kind of bring a little more clarity to this, this topic. Uh, I think I, I'm pretty certain that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the young people coming up in, in church or maybe young people who haven't been to church, but are, are um, maybe being introduced to it have, have, um, they don't, they don't have the respect for the hierarchy and, and the authority of the clergy that, you know, say our, um, you know, the generations before us, had and so I think that that is going to be a major sticking point in, in a lot of these churches that have this strict hierarchy, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. you know they'll, they'll they'll stick around they'll they'll make do with what they have and they'll and they you know they believe that what they what they're doing is correct and therefore they're going to stick with it but I think there's going to be a lot of change uh, in the next several decades for sure. Yeah. Um, this has been really interesting. I, uh, as I've mentioned, the the church tradition that I most closely align with um, is, you know, very open. We don't. Yes, there is a senior pastor, but he knows that his what his gifts are, and he sticks with those, and he uh, kind of hands off the other gifts to people who actually mm-hmm. have those mm-hmm. gifts and. Some people are on staff, some people are commissioned, some people are just volunteers, you know, and like, I, I'm a volunteer and I get to, to do communion and baptize people, <laughs> you know, and so I just, I'm just not used to uh, hierarchy, hearing about hierarchies within uh-huh. churches. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jacob, for, for talking to us about this today. It's been really interesting. You're very welcome. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. We know that you have some really cool videos on uh, on your YouTube page and on your blog, and so we'll make sure we link to those in the show notes. And um, we've loved this conversation. We hope to continue it for a part two someday. Mm, yeah, that's fine. I, I look forward to it. All right. And I hope uh, that that you'll be successful in your uh, mission because because uh, all of us have one. Yes. And uh, you're doing really great uh, work by the sounds of it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope something good comes on your way. And God bless you both. 